I'm not just coming out here telling people to think things. I actually teach people how to how to become masterful of their thoughts and of their actions versus trying to just talk them into doing what whatever needs to be done right now. All right, Toby, welcome. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me today. I'm so glad you're here. We're very excited to have you on the podcast. So for those that don't know Toby Larson, give us an overview of who you are so our listeners know. So I'm a doctor of performance psychology. And what I do is I help people learn how to control their attention. And then from there, we learn how to master their life. I really focus in on goals, goal achievement, helping people set and then actually achieve those bigger long-term goals, whether it's some sort of success that they want to reach or some personal change that they want to make in their life. I've helped people develop fitness habits. I've helped people achieve championships in sport, and I've helped people grow within their career. Amazing. You've had quite the extensive career then. It's (laughs) It's, it's been a long route to here. Actually, when I graduated from college, I had a math degree and started working in tech because it was the late 90s and the dot-com boom was happening. So I worked for a B2B software company doing partner relationship management, uh, software implementation consulting. And after the market crash there, I went back to math education, which is what my degree was in school math and coaching high school sports. I was a head coach for golf and for track and was assistant coach on the football team and defensive coordinator. So that was super fun. fun. (laughs) Was that all here in Utah? That was actually in California. Okay, I was living in Pacifica and working in Half Moon Bay. Okay. Very nice. Great area. Love the area. So then after coaching for high school, what did we do after this? So I actually took a few years off to be at Stay Home Parent. So that was now career number three and stayed there or did that primarily for three years and then started working on my master's degree to figure out what to do next Mm -hmm. after being a stay-at-home parent. I had intended to be a college golf coach. Unfortunately, the NCAA has a cap on how many coaches a college team can have and every college team is full. And so as as I was working through my master's degree, uh, one of my prerequisites was sports psychology. I read that textbook cover to cover within about six weeks. Wow. I just fell in love with that. The the whole material, the topic, um, everything about it, because having been 35 going into grad school, I actually had a lot of life experience Mm -hmm. to then scaffold the knowledge on and having theory to understand why certain things were the way they were throughout my life. Um, why I was a certain way really just clicked and connected. And, and I just started to have a real passion to understand how do people motivate themselves? How do people stay motivated? How do people actually grow? into their next version of themselves. And what is that? At that time, one of my high school, former high school students, uh, he actually became a pro MMA fighter. Wow. Okay. Well, I want to hear about that. So I was coming home from grad school. Uh, This was 
I think in October mm-hmm. of, of that year. So I'd almost finished the entire textbook and I bumped into him randomly at the grocery store and he said, oh, I'm prepping for my pro debut. And I said, well, I'm doing sports psychology work. Do you want to, or sports psychology in my class, would you want to be a, a guinea pig and try this stuff out and see if it really works? And he was gung ho for it. So we spent six months basically doing every single intervention available for a master's level sports psychologist yeah. to do and, and really got him, got him into a place where he was just starting to, to really be on a roll. He ended up going nine and zero, and wow. got into Bellator. He won a regional belt, got into Bellator, became ranked. And then he's still with Bellator now working his way up, hoping to earn himself a title, a title fight before too long. That's amazing. So with you going through school, right, you're, you're trying to figure this out. You obviously have a passion for sports psychology for you. I want to back up just a little bit, but what was your biggest takeaway that like clicked? You mentioned it clicking for you with motivation, trying to figure out that growth mindset. Right. But for you in your own life, really, what was the biggest takeaway for you to apply that and see the value in that? Yeah. For really the biggest thing for me was starting to understand that we go through life kind of in two modes. One is approach where we're actively engaging and trying to build as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. And the other is avoidance where we're actively trying to keep ourselves safe and keep ourselves from experiencing any sort of discomfort. Realizing that those were two choices that I was unconsciously making showed me instantly, oh, there's a there's a place to grow here. There's a, there's a way to figure out how to live better, how to live more full and how to have just more rich experience in life. And that was really what pulled me in out of the most curiosity. So was there one area in your life where you felt like that resonated the most with you? Yeah. So I, people may not know, I, I have a cleft palate. And so that meant I was born actually without a good chunk of the, of the roof of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And you notice I do have a scar on my face for a while. Very minimal, might I add. (laughs) (laughs) You can barely even tell. For a while, it looked massive Mm -hmm. to me. And it was, for me, it was the thing that everybody would see. And so I would avoid a lot of, uh, I would just avoid a lot of interactions Mm -hmm. because I was trying to protect myself from this story I built up in my head about the way I looked and the way I talked. So I had to go through speech therapy as a kid. And so there were a lot of things that were kind of telling me that, Hey, maybe pulling back and living small is a safer way to safer way to be. But then I got into professional sports and realized, wow, there's a life out here. That's just exciting and fun and jump into it. Um, I mean, granted during the dot-com era, when you're getting the big fat paychecks during the, the heyday, you're living a little bit big, but this was on a whole different level. This was putting myself really out there as somebody who is an expert and as the top of my field, as opposed to just being a member in a group, trying to, trying to keep, you know, keep from rocking the boat and having the theory to help me understand how to, how to really step into that and how to grow into the professional I am today. For me, that was the biggest hook was really understanding how can I keep myself going towards these long-term goals? And, yeah. and that's, uh, that's really what I 
bring in as experience along with theory to then help other people develop in themselves. So you were like your own first guinea pig, if you really think about it. Pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other things I really got into is mindfulness mm -hmm. and mindful meditation as a way to control my attention as a way to create space between my thoughts and my actions so that I could start engaging the way I really wanted to. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into that a little bit more because I feel like that's such a hot topic. Everyone keeps talking about awareness, mindfulness, you know, yoga, things like that. But for those that don't know how to get started or that might think it's all made up, right? Where is a good place for someone to really start being aware and being mindful of their actions or their thoughts? How do you even get started with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I use mindfulness to help us learn how to control our attention. Mm -hmm. And at its core, that's one of the major things that mindfulness does for us. And in a mindful meditation, really what you're doing is you're trying to bring your focus back into your breath. Focus and attention is a switch. It gets pulled to somewhere. It's not so much like we set it on a certain place and it stays there until we move it elsewhere. It's more just kind of randomly getting pulled to wherever it goes. And our, our ability is, or our mental ability is that we can actually decide where to pull it as opposed to letting everything external to us pull our attention. Right. And so in mindful meditation, you focus in on your breath because breath is a real easy thing to bring your mind to. Most of the time it's, we unconsciously breathe mm -hmm. until we think about it. Right. And now we have to breathe, but we don't really, but it's hard to judge our breath. The air comes in, the air comes out. There's not really good or bad as a decision on was that a good breath or was that a bad breath? Mm -hmm. And so it allows us to focus in a way that we're not judging. So we're just experiencing and noticing and observing. And that's where that space comes from your thoughts and then your decided action. Now, mindfulness is kind of that first step in that. And there's a lot of other, other ways that I teach attention. So I'll use visualization and mantras as a mm -hmm. way to help people control their, control their focus. As an example, I have an athlete who's on the junior free ride world tour. She won her first event of the season out in France. She arrived without any luggage. So she competed only wearing the clothes that she wore oh on the plane. Gosh. Wow. <laughs> borrowed ski, borrowed all the gear, boots, board, clothing, everything, borrowed it all and laid down the winning run. That's incredible. That would throw me a thousand percent. That would throw me. I feel like I'm really good when I have like my routine and everything that I need in order. So having something out of place, that would be really, really hard. So with your, with your mindfulness, that's what you're able to teach her with visualization is what you're saying. Actually with her is visualization. Mm -hmm. And then we had a mantra that we built and we envisioned her actually saying that to herself through her competitive run. And what happened is she was at the gate and she just realized run to the feet and where's my next feature. Mm -hmm. And she was able to just have an enjoyable run and not be caught up in the story of this isn't my board. I'm not too sure how this is going to work. These boots feel weird. Yeah. 
all that stuff that would be highly distracting because she had practiced it so much, she knew that she had the ability to put her focus where she wanted it to be. So one thing that you just said, she practiced it so much. So how long was she working with you before that event? How much practice does she had to put in to get to that spot? We started working together in November. Okay. So only a few months. Yeah. Wow. That's very effective. So you started all this, you, you had your first guinea pig outside of yourself, your MMA fighter, right? He got to that level title, was able to accomplish a lot from there. What did you, what did you do? So actually, well, I worked with him for the first six months and then he invited me and his coach invited me to come with him to the American kickboxing Academy down in San Jose. And I was there. It was kind of funny. My first day there, I pretty much got told by one of the athletes, you're not going to be needed. Like this is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I said on, um, on the thinking project podcast that it was Luke Rockhold who just looked at me and said, anybody who uses you is mentally weak and they shouldn't be a fighter. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so talk about a need to like center yourself and not be reactive. I just realized right then and there, okay, you got to have professional presence now. You didn't expect you needed to have it right now, but here it is. Here's your, your opportunity. And, uh, I turned to Javi, uh, Javier Mendez, who's the owner of the gym, who's sitting next to me. And he gave me a look and I said, well, I'm working with Adam, you know, and he goes, don't listen to Luke. He's just a hothead. And I realized in that moment, okay, just, you have a presence and you'll be fine here. Mm -hmm. And I started working with many of the other members of the team. Uh, A few others have been able to help actually from their early move from being an amateur fighter into the UFC. I've, I've seen that pathway a couple of times now. One of my athletes, Nolan Hernandez, we actually, we had been, we had made that that worked together. And I was in his corner for most of his fights. So that means I was actually the one cage side who would then in between intermissions run in with the stool and help him out. Yep. And he kept me all the way through his uh, UFC career. So I got to do a couple UFC fights with him in the corner. And that was, uh, I knew how I had gotten somewhere when we were standing there in the UFC and it was, wow, we've, we've actually done something. Right. Shortly after that, we moved to Utah. Uh, my my spouse, she got a position with recursion and that pulled us out here. And so that started to create some separation from my athletes and it was time to figure out a pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, then COVID hit and my pivot was pretty much back to stay-at-home dad to make sure everything was, was able to work while school was completely o- online and at home. Uh, funny thing, we actually had CenturyLink as our uh, cable provider or as our internet provider then. And my nickname for him was Century Not Linked. <laughs> <laughs> Not working out so well. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a nice day when Google Fiber came up and said, hey, we're going to give you permanent on uh, internet. And that was such a relief because the pandemic, like basically my, my job for about three months of the pandemic was keeping CenturyLink up for us. Oh <laughs> I was a, so I, I guess I had a brief sentence tech support there, but, um, mm-hmm. then when the pandemic came out, it was, yeah, it was time to figure out how to really push my business forward. And I've been, I had 
been with my wife the whole time, obviously helping her through her, her career growth yeah. um, from being an entry-level engineer at Genentech all the way to present COO of a, of a publicly traded company. And so I knew quite a bit about the executive lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, about the needs of people at the director level, senior director level, VP, SVP, and then C-suite and getting to see all those transitions that need to be made internally, um, getting to have a, you know, getting to be there uh, with somebody through that really taught me a lot. The other thing it taught me is that you can move up as an executive and get injured with athletics. You blow out your knee, you're probably not going to be at that level again. You can blow out your knee as a senior director and still end up as CEO. Right. You can keep going forward. And for me, that was the greatest thing because then all that work, I mean, I've had athletes where we've put in tons of work and made so much progress and in a three month period, just massive growth. You get that fight finally. And it, most fighters are going to get two to three fights a year. I had some that can manage to get six fights a year, but it's, it's hard to get opportunities as a fighter because there's only so many, uh, shows that take place and you would spend all that time and you'd be two weeks out from the competition and they get a cut from a just bonk, bonking heads and wrestling mm-hmm. practice. And that would put them out of the fight. Wow. A lot of work for nothing then at, yeah. at that point. Okay. And then if they, you know, on the occasions that they dislocate their shoulder or mm-hmm. would dislocate their ankle, um, you know, from a throw, from a kick, from whatever, now they're, now they're out for a year to two years. And when they come back, that ability to be elite now has been taken away from them because in sports, there is a physical element that just needs to be on point in order to be at that elite level. Yeah, definitely. And so I kind of wanted to find people that, yeah, wouldn't be set back by random injury <laughs> on their pathway <laughs> to fair. going from expert to elite. Yeah. So that's what we're into now, right? We're, we're working more with executives in, in that industry right now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm really trying to help high performers, highly ambitious individuals achieve what they want to achieve by teaching them first how to get better control of their attention, how to use the various mental skills that are tried and true in all sorts of performance arenas, and figuring out for them what's the combo that helps them grow right now and then adjust as their needs change. One of the exercises I do, one of the things that goes beyond mindfulness is into the whole whole realm of what they call acceptance. And a lot of that is values mm. and really understanding your values. What a lot of people don't realize is that They actually, if you're not inventorying your values on a regular basis, you're going to be kind of cloudy in what they really are. And that definition helps you really understand how you want to move forward as you're pursuing these goals, as you're trying to grow. And because you know how you want to move forward, it makes moving forward a lot more sustainable. So how often are you telling your clients that you're working with to check on their inventory with their values? How, like for anybody, like how often should we be doing that? I think annually is a good time. I think, you know, kind of 
before you're setting your new year's resolutions Mm -hmm. or before your birthday, pick a, pick an important kind of a point in the year to just make it a regular habit. And they might say the same if you're paying attention to them that way. But as life changes, our values are going to kind of shift with them. Your values as a 21 year old college grad is going to be much different than a 30, you know, a 35 year old parent of two or three with a mortgage and a job and a car payment and 10 direct reports, whatever it is at that point in your life. And so then values are probably going to change. And so it's important to know them. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So definitely. So once a year is what we recommend for people starting out with that as well. And then for those that maybe don't even know how to articulate what their values are, or really even write down what that means for them, how, how do you get that out of people to figure out what their true values are outside of maybe what their environment has told them, um, people close in their corners or maybe religious beliefs. I feel like there's a lot of environmental factors that shape who you're, who you are or what your values are. So how do you kind of like derobe all of that, what you've been told your whole life to really figure out what your values are? Yeah. So when they're external, they're Mm -hmm. morals. And so when they're internal, they're values. So that's one of the things. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Where's the origin of them Mm -hmm. on my website? I have a form that is just a values, uh, it's just a, a basic values quiz. And it has a list, I, I'd have to tell you the exact number, I'd have to like to know the number, but I think it's around 70 or so. Different, just, just value names and a brief description. And then you just decide, is it always, sometimes or never? Mm. And you can go through that and really see which values resonate with you because they have that definition. And so now you start to get some of that clarity. There's less fog. We know that that the average person can remember five things plus or minus two at any time. If you think about your day, some of those five things are already taken up from you. Mm -hmm. So the next step on the values is always to figure out what are your top five. And the way to figure out your top five that generally works the best is going through that values list. Once you identify which resonate with you, scratch out, start eliminate 10 and just keep eliminating 10 until you're down to your last five. Um, Eliminating makes us say, why not this one? Mm-hmm. And that makes it easier to filter down. That's that's why the the psychologist who developed this procedure did it that way. That's very interesting. So with your new clients that you're taking on, is this the first thing that you have to develop with them is figuring out their values or their why behind what they're doing? Or what's the first step when you're taking on a new client? Absolutely. So my style is, is really to figure out what's the immediate pressing question for this client. Uh, it could be that they are, they're self-sabotaging in some way mm-hmm. and they want to figure that out. They want to figure out why they're, why they're doing that. It could be, I've had some clients that come in and are just, just tell me, I want to figure out how far I can go. Like. That's ha- super broad, but yeah. <laughs> and so with them, it's, it's usually then it's, well, let's start, let's start with some mindfulness and mm-hmm. let's start with some attentional focus exercises and let's see what you start discovering. Usually once people start harnessing their attention a little bit more, 
um, then they really start to understand, oh, I want help with this. And so generally when there is not an idea of what, what specifically they want to do, attention for me is usually a good place to start. Uh, so it could be doing some reflective practices mm -hmm. in between sessions and things like that to get to know them. The other cool thing is with clients I've worked with for multiple years. So I have a, I have a few that I've been with for, I think about a decade now, I'd say, and seven, seven years to a decade. Mm -hmm. And them I know really, really well. So then they can come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking of this. What are your thoughts? And what I can tell them is, well, in the past, you've expressed so maybe they're thinking about making a career change and they're mm -hmm. thinking about switching industries. I can tell them about how in the past they described to me how stability is a really important uh, uh, quality for them to experience in life. So we would explore how can you keep that and move into a new, a completely new field. Or maybe they really value novelty and then it's, well, does this provide that for you? That's something that you really value and want. It sounds like this decision is starting to become easier because you understand more about what you have been telling me over these years. And so providing that mirror for people is really, that's where I like to get to ultimately. Yeah. Because then you, you have this deep connection that's professional and kept inside all the confidentiality and protections of a coaching relationship. And it really, it, it, it feels so supportive for me as a professional um, when I'm providing that level of service to them. It's, it's just fulfilling in a way that's um, that, that just makes me love this career. Well, it sounds like you found your purpose or you found your biggest why for providing value. I know we were able to connect earlier and talk a little bit more about why you even started, you know, this being in this industry. And it really was, you want to provide value in people's lives. So it sounds like what you just said and the smile on your face that I'm seeing right now that you were able to find that. Absolutely. It, and I kind of started to realize that when I was a, a high school math teacher, I really enjoyed watching the kids succeed. Mm-hmm as a, as a coach, I then got to see them succeed in something that they wanted to succeed in. They didn't want to do bad in math. Right. <laughs> I, I would say I'm hard pressed to give you names of, of students I had that were in love with math. Yeah. I definitely was not one of those. Students. <laughs> My daughter is that way. Mm -hmm. And Maybe that was because she was born to somebody who was a math teacher, but right. I, I really did not have any kid that was any student that was just gung gung ho on math. Uh, that said, I didn't teach AP calculus. So maybe that's why <laughs> I taught the calculus for seniors that didn't want to take AP. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so they, they would that check out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. And it, but I really love the seeing them, seeing them experience success. Mm -hmm. I just, that, that for me was, was the, the kernel of teaching that I wanted to hold on to in something that they wanted to do is why I wanted to go into coat into being an athletic coach, as opposed to staying in the classroom. Mm -hmm. That's why I tried to make that full time because when I was on the field with them, then they were, 
they were just more open, brighter, more engaged than I could ever get them in the math class because we were playing games and it was fun. Right. No, I think that's big. And I think for a lot of people trying to find what excites them or find passion in what they're doing day to day, it's, it's hard. So for you, like you found that, but for those that haven't found that are still trying to figuring out their why, what would you suggest starting with? I think one of the the first places to start, and, and this comes from psychological theory. So there, if we think about human motivation, there's all sorts of ways to think about it. For me, the way I think about it, are you doing something because you want to, or are you doing something because you have to? Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're improving your skills and you're improving your abilities and you're getting better at something, we call that competency. And we know that that is one of the major human drives that switches us from having to do something to wanting to do something. We actually do want to grow. That's an innate drive that we have. And so figure out what makes you, what is something in your life that you're actively trying to get better at? Mm -hmm. Really explore that. And by explore that, I mean, what are aspects of that activity besides what is the activity that really engages you. And then let's add a few more aspects to that. How much do you want to have control over your life and what's, what's important control for you to have and what's not important control for you to have. When I was a high school teacher, I had zero control over my time. Mm -hmm. I was fine with that. I was fine with show up at the classroom, you know, show up to the school by seven 20 leave every day by four. That was, that was a nice schedule to have. And then if it was sports season, then, you know, be leave at six or 7 PM at night. And it was just nice to have that reliability. Then when I started becoming a a stay at home parent, it was really nice to have flexibility. So Mm -hmm. I had a value change right there. And then I valued flexibility in my schedule as opposed to rigidness. And so that's the type of thing I would, I would recommend somebody to think about when they're trying to find their why is what motivates you, what gets you to move, what are aspects of, of personal control that you want to have? And then where can you find careers that allow you to develop that? You may not get all of it at first. Right. So find a career that's going to let you grow into that autonomy that you want. I love that. That's a great starting point because I think it's overwhelming, right? When everyone's trying to figure out their purpose or their why, it's hard to know where to start. So I think that's great advice, right? Just find out what motivates you. And then from there, build like kind of what you're saying before, like, what are your values? What's your biggest why? And how is that going to propel you to the next spot? So I think that's amazing. So right now with where you're at with everything, what are you hoping comes this year in 2023? For me personally? Yeah, for you personally. So a few things I really want to have happen. One is I'm hoping to do more speaking engagements. I love that. I really enjoy, I really enjoy speaking. Uh, I've learned so much. I like to share the experiences that I've had, that I've had and to explain how the knowledge that I've developed relates into those experiences. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's really fun telling those stories. I'm actually taking a course on developing my TED talk, my big talk in a couple of weeks. Wow. Um, that's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 
So I'll have that ready to go pretty soon. I actually kind of back some of that until this talk, but I've done a few presentations uh, for a few groups. I think doing more mastermind groups is the other thing. I'd love to have five high, you know, five of the kind of quote unquote high ticket clients, five executives who really mm -hmm. want to see how far they can get and help them with that growth process. Uh, for me, it's, it's really finding people that are seeking achievement mm -hmm. because I'm on the performance side, not on the, on the clinical therapeutic side, I'm looking for growth. I'm looking for creating expansiveness within people as opposed to trying to heal and mm -hmm. um, make sense of the past. And so that's one of the big differences with my training in the field of psychology. So with that being said, with your clients that you're working with, do most of your clients have to have known themselves and gone through that healing process to then be able to work with you to get that growth as well? I don't think so. Okay. I've, I've not found that to be interfering. If, if you have clinical depression, mm -hmm. if you're, uh, you know, borderline personality disorder or something like that, then it becomes a true therapeutic clinical need. And so for those people, I would refer out because I don't do the clinical work. Mm -hmm. But if you're just dissatisfied, if you're not really good at staying focused, if you're just kind of feeling general malaise, but it's, it's because you're not happy with where you're at, I don't believe you need to spend time understanding why you're where you're at. I think it's better to spend time on your vision, create vision, mm -hmm. and then start creating a pathway towards that vision. You can change from something, but the problem with saying change from is you don't know where you're going to. Right. And so I work on that, where are you going to side of things. I've actually had a few, I do have clients that come to me after they've been in therapy for a while and mm -hmm. that those clients really do extraordinarily well. Every, I've had really good results uh, with everybody I've worked with, but the clients that were looking for the next step after doing a couple years of therapy, how to grow further, mm -hmm. they just come in with a little bit, a little bit more grounded self-assurance from that therapy work that helps us get a few steps deeper, a little bit quicker, but it's never a limiting factor if there's no underlying deep clinical issue going on. Yeah. I want to imagine those two that are coming out of therapy, right? They have that awareness that you're also teaching and mindfulness, right? Because they've gone through a lot of that work and that healing too. So I could see how that would like correlate and play into them being a, maybe a higher achiever right after, because they're like, all right, I've done all the work. Let's, let's get started on the next phase of my life. So I think that's great. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You, you finally bought that Ferrari. Let's take it out to the salt <laughs> flats and uh, right. open it up. Let's go test it out. Let's have a drive. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I think for, for everything else, like what is the last thing that you would want people to know about you with the work that you're doing, your why really summing up who Toby is? Yeah. So I've had really five careers in my lifetime and I've gone through my own personal transformation process. I've helped create numerous champions in MMA 
and I've helped a handful of people reach pretty, pretty high heights in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not just coming out here telling people to think things. I actually teach people how to, how to become masterful of their thoughts and of their actions versus trying to just talk them into doing what, whatever needs to be done right now. I love that. Toby, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you and we will talk to you soon. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course.